Where's Fiona? Fiona? Yeah. If you want to know what blokes do when they carpool and go up to Perth, is we just talk about our wonderful wives. That's all we do in the car. So. All right. Well, we, uh, we, we begin a brand new series, as I said earlier um, this morning, and, and it's called We Are Church, and you'll notice that it's volume two, because that means that once upon a time there was a volume one, and that was a little while ago when we went through the book of Ephesians. Up on the screen, let me just tell you where we're going this term, and this will take us over, over eight or nine weeks. We're going to look this morning at elders in Acts 20, 17 to 33. So there they are. There's our topics coming up. I'm not sure why there's a counter. I'll be preaching for longer than five minutes. Um, What's going on there, Ian? All right. (laughs) I I will ignore that clock completely. There we go. Uh, (laughs) Four hours? Oh, mate. Yeah. No? Shireen? All right. Here's where we're going. Elders this morning. We're going to go by deacons next week. We're going to look at godly habits or habits, yeah, next week, uh, the following week, convictions, followed by service, part one, part two, cost, war, and then we'll finish with worship. And just to understand that in the connect groups that are starting this week, the connect groups will do the same passage as the Sunday morning. So what I do this morning, they'll do in the week, and that's a chance to, 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 to dig in deeper, to uh, ask more questions, and perhaps even to get a little bit more practical. One of the central questions, overarching questions that I want to ask you throughout this particular term is this. Do you know your church? Do you actually know your church? And you should know your church. You should want to know your church. And so this morning we start with the very important subject of elders or eldership. And I want to just uh, write at the, the start here this morning uh, with Acts chapter 20, 17 to 33, this particular passage has had and continues to have massive significance on my life. Going back 24 years, it was 1999. I was in England. I was doing a ministry apprenticeship in a little church uh, called Holy Trinity in Brighton and Hove in the UK. I was in the UK because after four years, three years of Bible college, I still didn't know whether being a pastor was the direction and the call of my life. In that year in the UK, I was on a particular conference, and this one night there was a speaker by the name of Richard Koken, and he preached on this passage. And it was in that night and that passage from that pastor where God used this passage to literally turn my life towards the pastorate. It was there that this passage was set on light, set on fire, that really burnt and brought the call of my life to become a pastor of God's sheep. 24 years on, back in May of this year, Simon, Mark, and myself were in a conference in the Central Coast. It was the Wednesday evening. And lo and behold, that evening, Richard Koken, that pastor from 1999, was at the conference and was interviewed that night. He got off the stage, another pastor got up and preached this exact passage, Acts 20, 17 to 33. And that night, in May of this year, 24 years on, it was again the Lord confirmed to my own heart 
that being a pastor was the desire of my heart. The reason why that evening was so significant was because that evening in May of this year, I was tired. I was doubting whether I should still be in the church. My recall was coming up. I was feeling the weight of responsibility. I was feeling the inadequacy uh, of, my, of my gifting. But there was something in that message that night, as it was 24 years ago, that the Lord used to spark my heart again. And I'll share something of that with you as we go through this morning. I think it would be right to say that this passage has been the life passage of my life. And so much of my own heart is here this morning. Let's start with our first heading with the meeting in Miletus. If you've got your Bible open, you'll notice that in verse 17 of the passage, Paul calls for the, for the elders uh, in, in Ephesus and he calls and he meets them in a place called Miletus. Paul called the elders in Ephesus because that was a church that he had planted. It was there in Acts 19, you can go and read it, that he had poured his life out into them for a number of years. Paul had established the church, and he'd established the church through what, the, what is known as a plurality of eldership. In other words, there was more than one elder. A number of elders had been built into. And we, we see this plurality of eldership if you go into the book of Titus. Got your Bible open? Notice Paul is on his way, verse 22, to, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to him, but what he does know is he knows that persecutions and sufferings are ahead of him. He's been warned by the Spirit. And these, these sufferings that are coming, they may even result in his death, which is why, notice in the passage, why Paul says to these elders, I, I probably won't see you again. I'm not going to see you again because he's actually expecting to actually be put to death, perhaps under the opposition. So what happens is Paul calls for these elders, they come to my leaders, and it becomes for him one last opportunity in order to encourage them to be the men that they are called to be. He's encouraging them to be the elders that they are called to be. And so what we've got in Acts 20 is we've got something of a blueprint for eldership in the church. It's something of a template for both the character and the nature of pastoral ministry in the church. Now as we start, just something you may or may not know, and I mentioned it earlier, is that the Greek word for elders is the Greek word presbyteros, from where we get our word presbyter. Elders in verse 17. If you go down the passage to verse 28, he uses the word overseer. That Greek word is the word episkopos, from where we get our word bishop. They are interchangeable terms. Elders are overseers. Overseers are elders. We could expand that. Elders are overseers. Overseers are pastors. Pastors are overseers, etc., etc. It's all interchangeable. But it would be right if you put these two together, you could put it like this, that, that, that elders oversee or they have oversight of the church. Elders oversee. Elders have oversight of the church. And I want to show you that in our own constitution in the church, that's exactly the way this is reflected. Here's from our constitution 7.3. The two formal offices of the local church government elected by the formal membership to lead the church, shall be elders and deacons. 
And there it is. The elders are responsible for the oversight. And you could even put in there the pastoral oversight of the church. Now, here at BBC, we call the people that have pastoral oversight. Simon and I are normally called pastors. It's normally because we're sort of full-time. But, but, but our pastoral oversighters are elders. And, and you met them this morning. I'm an elder, it's along with Simon, along with Rob, along with Kyle. We're pastors. You get the drift. What's very important to understand is that here at BBC, only men are elders, which is commonly known in the theological jargon as complementarianism. And what that means, therefore, is that we don't have, we don't have women elders, and you will have an opportunity to explore that a little bit further in your connect groups this week. And I want to acknowledge that not all churches view eldership that way. There is another position, and it's called egalitarianism. And that is a position where churches allow women to fulfill eldership roles. I just want to acknowledge it is a very emotive subject. It is a very tense subject. But complementarianism, where we only have men as elders, that is the position of BBC. And it's very important for you to know that if this is your church, if this is a church you're looking at to be part of. So what Paul does, he calls for the men from Ephesus. He calls them to my leaders. He's going to have, this is, his, this is his farewell message. This is the one last shot that he has to really encourage his men to be men. And I want to show you eight points. They'll be very brief. If I did them all along, we would be here for four hours. But they are eight points. They are very brief. They are almost shotgun style. But remember again, you have an opportunity in the week to dig further and deeper into each of these things. So here we go. Here is the template. Here's a blueprint, if you like, of eldership. What, 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 what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does, what does the Scripture say? So here's number one. In his message to the men at my leaders, Paul starts with his example. Take a look at verse 18. As they arrive, let's get on to verse 18, so it's there. When they arrived, that's when the elders arrived from Ephesus, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. So here's Paul's first message. He says, he says my, my, my example to you was my message. Paul gives his lived life before them as an example of what godly eldership looks like. He says, you know how I lived. You watched how I lived. You saw my life. You saw my example. The example of one's life is the most important feature when considering eldership in a church. Elders are to be living examples. They are to live godly lives. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when you look at the list, and you can look at it in the connect group this week, of all the characteristics of elders, there is only one that is skill-based. Only one able to teach. All the rest are character. All about the character of the person. If men are not examples of godliness, they cannot and should not be placed in positions of eldership. Now listen carefully to this. You do not put ungodly people in leadership and expect them to grow and mature in leadership. You don't do that. You put godly people in positions of leadership for others to follow. 
get that wrong, mess that up, and you have a disaster when it comes to leadership in a church. Paul's first message was my example. Look at my life. Look how I live. I showed you the way. It was godly. Here's number two. Paul's humility. Paul's humility. Follow with me into verse 19. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Paul served with humility. He was not a man of pride and arrogance. He didn't think of himself more appropriate than was appropriate. In other parts of Scripture, Paul says, I, 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 I'm the least of the apostles. He says, I, I am the worst of sinners. And, and, and that really is the very heart of humility. It was the great, uh, I say great, it was the late Tim Keller who said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking less about yourself. You see, humility is... Pre now let me tell you how, where humility comes from. It comes from a profound realization of the grace of God on your life. That is how you nurture humility. Here's Paul in the same passage, verse 24. This has really been a life verse for me as well, where Paul says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, only that I may finish. My aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel, the good news of God's grace. Humility comes from knowing grace. You see, the Apostle Paul, he could barely comprehend that Jesus would have such grace on a violent, blasphemous, murdering, self-righteous Jew like himself. You see, it is humility that can truly sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wonderful person like me. You get the point, don't you? Paul's message was his example, number one. Number two was his humility. Number three, look at in verse 19, he talks about his tears. I serve the Lord with great humility and tears. Now, that does not mean that Paul, every time he preached the gospel, became a crybaby. doesn't mean that he, he, he broke into tears every time he preached and taught, though I, I do think that he shed some tears when he preached. With tears, what is, what's getting at here, and I, I just this was really helpful from the commentator Montgomery Boyce, he said with tears, he was talking that Paul was a man of deep empathy. You see, Paul was able to empathize he was able to put himself into other people's shoes. He was a man that hurt with those who hurt, and he grieved with those who grieved. He had joy with those who were experiencing joy. And, and Paul could empathize with sinners because he was the worst of sinners. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't someone, he didn't get shocked when Christians sin. He didn't get shocked when they sin again and again and again and again. Because that's what you do, Christians, don't you? You sin again and again and again. Paul wasn't shocked. Emphasized. He, he, he. But those tears also talk about a deep care for God's people, and I'll get to that a little bit later. Here's your first three. 
He says to the men, he says to them, there's my example for you to look at. There is my humility for you to remember. There are my tears that you saw. Uh, Very briefly, number four, he talks about his suffering. So look at verse uh, 19 again. He says, I I serve the Lord and I, I serve with great humility. I serve with tears. And in the midst of severe testing of the plots of my Jewish opponents. You see, Paul is saying to the elders that you need to be prepared to suffer for the gospel. You need to be prepared to suffer as an elder in the church because it's hard. There's suffering inside the church. There's suffering outside the church that will come. Paul was a man that had been viciously persecuted, not just on the outside, but from the very inside of the church as well. And remember verse 22, 23 in the passage, he says, listen, I, I'm actually going to Jerusalem and taking a gift to the saints there, but I, I don't even know what's going to happen. I, I actually think that my Jewish opponents are actually going to kill me. You've got to be prepared, elders. Elders have got to be prepared to, to work hard and to prepare to suffer on behalf of the sheep, on behalf of the church. We keep moving. Five. Paul talks about his proclamation. This is part of his message. And this is the message of the elders. He says, look at verse 21, 20, 21. So look at Paul's proclamation. He says, he says to them, you know, you know that when I was with you, I, I, it could be written like this, I, I did not hesitate to preach anything to you that, that wasn't helpful. But, but when I was with you, I, I, I taught. I taught publicly from house to house. And I, now look at the message, 21. He says, I declared to you I declare to you, to Jews, to Greeks, that they've got to turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice that what Paul is saying to the elders is that the very heart of, the very heart of his ministry was proclaiming, was teaching, was preaching. That was the very center. It, 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 it was the heartbeat of his ministry. And therefore, therefore, the heartbeat, the nerve, the nerve of the elder, elders is teaching the gospel. Paul taught wherever. Now, they didn't have too many schmancy buildings like we've got today, but they met in homes and he taught there and he got privately home to home. It'd be individual, it'd be one-to-one, it'd be all over the place. But notice verse 21. Notice the very message. Look at it. He says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that, that, that's always the heart of the message. That's the heart. It never changes. You see, the, the, the heart and soul of the Christian message to both Christians and non-Christians is repent. Repent and have faith in Jesus. Keep repenting. Keep turning to Jesus. Keep forsaking your sin. Keep the, and keep trusting in Jesus Christ as the utter and complete sacrifice for all of your sin. That's, that's it. That's the whole deal. It never changes. Repent. Keep trusting. Repent. Keep trusting. Keep repenting. Keep trusting. And then uh, you'll notice, I don't know if I've got this on there. No. Oh, have I? Yeah, there it is. And um, notice, he just he pushes it again. He says, verse 25, he says, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He says, therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of anyone. Man, that is a great statement. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. See, here's, again, it's all part of Paul's example, but he he says to the elders, I I, I faithfully, 
faithfully taught, preached, proclaimed the Word of God in all its fullness so that people, both Christians and non-Christians, will keep turning to Jesus, keep turning to God, and keep trusting in Jesus Christ because that's what maturity is. Let me just stop here for just a moment. I really hope you understand, brother and sister, that the mark of your maturity is not how much you do in the church or don't do in the church. That's not the mark of your maturity. The mark of a growing, fruitful, maturing Christian is that you continually continue to forsake your sin and you continually continue to keep trusting in Jesus more deeply, more rooted in Him as the utter, complete sacrifice for all our sin and then risen from the dead. That's the mark. We're moving along at a rapid pace. Number six, Paul's self-care. And I want you to have a look at this. This is very important. So Paul sort of says in verse 28, he says to them, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's the word episcopos. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Just look at that first phrase. He says to the elders, keep watch over yourselves. You could write it like this, guard yourselves. Paul says to these elders, he says to these pastors, he says to these shepherds, he says to these overseers, all the same role, he says, watch over yourself. This is what we might call biblical self-care. He's not saying to the elders, go and have a holiday. He's not saying to them, now you retire from Christian service when you get to 65 or 70 or 75. He's saying, guard your heart. Guard your holiness. Watch your example. Guard the life of holiness within you. That's what he says to them. Why? Because take a look at this in the first part of Hosea 4 verse 9 where the prophet says, like people, like priests. Christians become like their leaders. Sheep become like their shepherds. You see, if the elders of the church are ill-disciplined, if they lose their moorings in the gospel, if your elders stop repenting and stop forsaking their sin, and if their faith weakens in the Lord Jesus Christ and their obedience falls, that's how the Christian sheep will follow. But another reason why Paul says to the elders, you need to guard yourselves is because that is exactly often where the devil attacks. Now you're going to see it later in the passage, the devil goes after the sheep. Oh boy, does he come after the sheep? We'll talk about that. But the devil goes after leadership. He goes after elders. And do you know why he goes after elders? Because he knows when he takes the elders down, when they fall, he knows the damage that it does. He knows the reputation damage. He knows the defame that comes to Jesus Christ and that's what he's all about. He just wants to defame the name of the Lord Jesus Christ whom he hates so much. Take a look at this. This is 1 Peter 5, verse 8. This is the Apostle Peter and, and he's, he's, it's in actually in the context, the wider context of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. It's also in the context of elders. So he's saying to elders, be alert and sober-minded he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I'll say this to you. 
if you have to go back and do some reading, the number, the number of pastors, elders, leaders in the church that have fallen from grace, that have literally shipwrecked their lives and shipwrecked their churches because of ungodliness. The number is astonishing. It would freak you out how many have fallen. A lot of the names you would probably know if I mentioned them. And you know why? Because they didn't guard themselves. And watch over their hearts. And watch over their godliness. And they weren't accountable. You see, let me say this about elders. If elders are not accountable to people, if elders are not accountable to elders, and if account and your elders are not even accountable to your sheep, you're in big trouble. You are going down like I tell you what, you only need I say this this is life and elders, but you give the devil that much. You give him a gap. I tell you what, you can get a lion's head through that gap. You can get a lion's head through that. He'll come in like a roaring lion and he'll shred the whole thing. God, God. Here's number, where are we? Seven. Paul's love. Watch this in verse 28. He says, don't just watch over yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves and all the, and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made your overseers be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. It, it could be written like this. Keep watch over yourselves as you watch over the sheep. Or, as you watch over the sheep, make sure you're watching yourself. Because here, here's the deal. You, elders, elders really just cannot watch the sheep. They can't guard the sheep. They can't protect the sheep if they're not looking after themselves. But here's the very hard, and, and, and I was grateful to, uh, to Rob this morning for, for really pressing into that space. The very heart of an elder is to guard to watch the sheep. It's to guard and watch the sheep. And as we look at verse 28 again, it's on the screen. I want to share something with you that was really the very heartbeat of the Lord's message to me back in May of this year. Verse 28, Be shepherds of the church of God which He bought with His own blood. Just look at that. Shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Let me ask you a question. Shout it out. Uh, uh, whose sheep are they? Whose sheep? How did God get his sheep? How did he get them? He bought them with the precious blood of his son. They are God's sheep. They are Blood-bought in the preciousness of Jesus Christ's blood. So let me ask you this question. How precious are the sheep to God? How precious are they? See, this is the heartbeat of whether the pastor is vocational or non-vocational, bivocational, I don't even know half the words. It's a guarding, it's a protecting of the precious blood bought sheep of God. They are so precious. They are so valuable. They are so beautiful to the Father. And the sheep are so loved by God. So many godly men say something like this to me. Oh, 
I could never be an elder. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, I don't have the pastoral skills. It's not a skill set. It's a heart set. It's not a skill set. It's a love heart set. It's about having a heart of love for the sheep of God that were bought with the blood of Jesus. And this was the very issue that the Lord pressed upon me. That I was sitting at EV Church in the Central Coast in May. I think I can honestly say to you that if I describe my last nine and a half years here, sometimes it has felt like a merry-go-round. Sometimes it's felt like a big dipper roller coaster. Sometimes it's felt like a big drop. There have been times when I'm ready to leave. I have been ready to leave, not just BBC. I've been ready to leave the ministry and, be go and, and become a policeman as I was reminded recently by my good friend that I would make a very bad cop. But anyway. Some of the wounds are self-inflicted. Some of the wounds have been inflicted by some of you. But 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., EB Church, May 10th, whatever it was, as Phil Coogan got up onto that pulpit after Richard Coken and preached this passage, it was this issue. It was the preciousness of the sheep that penetrated my heart and my weary mind. You see, I knew what the Lord was saying to me that night. He was saying to me, Paul, He said, if my, if my sheep are as precious to you as they are to me, then you keep going. If they're precious to you, because they're precious to me, then you keep going. Then you keep going. And you keep feeding. And you keep loving. And you keep serving. Don't matter what. And I, as I sat there that night, and it was a profound experience, because I think at some point I switched off the passage because there was a conversation going on in my heart and mind with the Lord, and it went something like this. It was like the, the Lord was saying to me, Paul, do do you really love my sheep? And I sat there going, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And it came again. <laughs> oh, reliving Peter. Like, Paul, really? Really? You really love my sheep? Yes, Lord, I do. I, I do. Paul, are my sheep really really precious to you? Well, I said, Lord, Lord, you know, you know that they are. And feed my sheep. And love my sheep. Serve my sheep. I wonder if you know this morning just how precious you are to the Lord. Man, the Lord loves sheep. Do you know how precious you are? Do you know how, do, do, can I, I feel like sitting down at this point, but because that's like all you need to know. Like, do you know how precious you are? And, and therefore, how precious are we to be to one another? Is, is, that, is that how you see your brother and sister next to you, behind you, over there somewhere? Is that where you see it? You're so precious to me, brother. 
because you're so precious to the Lord. Do you know that? How would, wouldn't that change everything here? Can, can, can you just imagine a church where everybody sees each other as just so precious because they're so precious to the Lord? Can you imagine? Well, I think we can a little because I think we've got something of that here. You are so precious. And I, that's the heart. That's the heart from which I want to serve you in the time that I have left here. And I'm grateful for the five years you've given me. We're nearly there. So Paul sort of starts to bring it down in, into a warning. So, so look at Paul's warning. He says to them, he says, I... Maybe things are going to die. And he says, I, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. I said to you that the devil will attack the elders, right? He'll attack the leadership, that's for sure. But notice what, what Paul is saying here is that is, is the devil's going to attack the sheep. And, and do you know why the devil goes for the sheep? Do you know why? You know why he comes for you? Because you're so loved by God. You're so precious to Him. He go for anything that God thinks is precious. That's why he goes for you. That's why he comes for you. That's why he comes for this church. That's why he's trying to get his head in the door here, his foot in the door here, his paw in the door here at times. You see, and, and one of the ways, one of the ways that the devil does this, just one way, is that notice from there he says, we'll come in among you. So, so the devil uses men and women to come into the church and what they do is they sow lies and they sow deceit. They, they basically sow lies against the gospel. They basically distort the gospel of grace. They pervert the gospel of grace so that people will follow them or follow away from Jesus Christ because they might not even know it, but it's the devil behind them. The devil just wants to lead you away from Jesus. So what do elders do? They guard the sheep. And do you know how they do that? They do it with the truth of God's Word. They teach the sheep God's Word. They protect the sheep with God's Word. They love the sheep with God's Word. And what elders, good elders do, pastors do, is they point, point, punt, they point out the false teachers that look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. You've got to know who they are. You've, I've got to point out to you the schemes of the devil because... He's a wily old character and he's got schemes. So listen, that means that if you're going to be an elder or the elders of the church, they, they, they have to be men of the truth. They have to know the truth. They don't have to memorize the Bible. It's not like, you know, take over 50 verses that you've memorized, you're in. No, no. You've got to know the truth and love the truth and be able to teach the truth and be able to apply the truth and to come alongside people and encourage them with the gospel. Here's how um, Paul put it to Titus. He's talking about elders. He says to Titus about elders, he says, he, the elder, elders must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as being taught so that he, they, can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute, there it is, refute those who oppose it. Okay. Let me, let me start to wrap. Um, We've got this meeting at Miletus and, and we've, we've gone through eight aspects of Paul's message to the elders and 
We've gone through those, and so let me apply it very, very personally, and, and I hope practically, and again, you can dig a little deeper in the, in the week. Here's number one. The pattern of godly leadership that God has given to the church is what we call a plurality of eldership. Right? The pattern is that you have a more than one, <laughs> a more than one elder. <laughs> That's the pattern. And I, I just want to say to you, if you are ever, have ever been in a church where there is one part, it's like a soul pastor or not so much of a thing, but you've been in a church where there's only been one elder, oh my goodness, it's not good. Because it's a plurality. That's God's pattern. And these men, they serve, one, by their godly example. Two, they serve with humility. Three, they have their tears and their empathy. Four, they, they prepare to suffer for the sake of the sheep. And outside, they are men that teach the word and teach the word and teach the word. They are men that self-care because they watch over themselves for the sake of the sheep. And they, they, they love the sheep because the sheep are so precious and they they warn they guard they protect with the word of god so i want to say firstly to the current elders here rob simon i'll just say it to kyle personally when i see him and myself you need to be what god has called you to be Be elders. Be men that God has called you to be. Simon, you need to love the sheep. And I know that you do. Rob, you need to love the sheep. And I know that you do. To the other men sitting here this morning, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. I'm not sure if I've got it. Let me just see. No. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, Whoever aspires to be an elder or overseer desires a noble task. You need to know, men of God, you need to know that to, be, to want to be an elder and to be an elder it is both a noble desire and a noble task. So I'm asking you this straight up. Men, are you a godly man? Men of BBC, are you, are you, are you a godly man? Are the sheep precious to you? Do you love the sheep? Then I'm asking you today to go, men, go prayerfully before the Lord and ask Him if He is calling you to be a lover of God's sheep and come and serve with us. Some of the men here this morning could be elders. Some of the men here this morning can't be elders for two reasons. One, you can't be an elder because you're not a member of this church. And number two, you can't be an elder because you haven't been baptized by full immersion, which is one of the requirements from our Constitution. I just want to say this to you humbly and gently. I just want to ask you, if that's you, if you fall into one of those two categories, number one, I want you to go before the Lord and ask you to prayerfully consider whether you should become a member of this church with a view to, to coming on and, and serving down the line. 
And if you fit into that baptism category this morning, I ask you to go before the Lord and just ask the Lord this question. For the sake of loving the sheep and for the sake of serving the sheep which are precious to you and to Him, should you be baptized by full immersion so that you can serve the sheep here? Would you put that before the Lord and seek His will and seek His face? To the sheep here of BBC, we've started that this morning, haven't we? We've prayed for our elders. Would you please continue to pray for them? Would you pray that we guard our lives? Would you pray that we guard your lives? Would you pray that our hearts always keep so soft towards you that they do not become hard, that they do not become bitter, they do not become resentful? Because we want to serve out of love. Two final things. This week in the Connect Groups, you'll dig into this passage a bit further, can explore and go for it. I do want to encourage you again, if I may, that if you're not part of a Connect Group here, would you become part of one? Would you join one? Why? Because you want to be with other precious sheep, learning and growing together. And if you need some help this morning on knowing which maybe which group to join or whatever, chat to the hub, come and chat to me personally and I'll I'll give you a nudge in the right direction. And then lastly and finally, verse 36. The very end of the passage, it says, when Paul had finished speaking, giving him his message, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. Elders are prayers. Elders are men that spend their time on their knees for the sheep. And tonight, I'm calling you, sheep, let's have dinner together with the elders. And the elders will lead tonight in a time of prayer. We'll be here at 5.30. Just for an hour, we'll eat together in the foyer and we'll come in here and the elders will be here. Kyle, probably not back, but we'll be here and we, we will lead you in a time of prayer. I hope that you'll join us. Music team.